praise our God reigns how lovely how lovely are the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news well good news announcing peace we're proclaiming news of happiness our God reigns amen Will our God reigns? Oh, our God reigns. Yes, our God, He reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. It was our sin and guilt that bruised and wounded him it was our sin that brought him down when we like sheep oh had gone astray our shepherd came and on his shoulders for our shame oh our god reigns will our god reigns our god God reigns. He had no state, leave form. He had no majesty that we should be. Well drawn to him, he was despised. And we took no account of him, and yet he reigns. Amen. We're with the most high, so our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns, our God reigns. Meek as a lamb that's led out to the slaughterhouse, dumb as a sheep before it Life ran down upon the ground like pouring rain that we 
for that. He reigns this morning. There is an empty tomb. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. want to welcome uh, each and every one of you to the service this morning. We've got quite a few visitors. We'd like to welcome you. Hope you feel welcome with us. Let's sing that uh, I need you, Lord. I need you right now. Do you need him? Amen. Every day, no matter what's going on, I need him. Amen. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I lift my hands and I bow my knees, oh, and worship at your throne. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. Let's sing it again. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I lift my hands and I bow my knees. Oh, and we 
worship at your throne Cause I need you, Lord Yes, I need you, Lord Right now Now let's sing, we need you, Lord We need you, Lord We need you, Lord Right now you Lord we need you Lord right now we lift our hands and we bow our knees and worship at your Yes, we need you, Lord, right now. One more time, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I bow my knees, oh, and worship at your throne. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. Well, I need you, Lord.
You definitely need him right now. Amen? Amen. Um, Brother Matt, if you could just go ahead and continue to play that softly. We're going to open our service in a word of prayer. Ask Brother Fisher if he could come and open the service in a word of prayer. It's good to have them and our other visitors with us. We got uh, quite a few folks from our uh, regular assembly that are missing this morning. We want to remember the Florians. They're not feeling well. They're at home sick. Our brother Peter Coffey is quite ill at home. We want to remember them. Uh, the Harwells are away in Virginia. Uh, the Pascals are uh, away. They're having to work. We want to remember Sister Amber uh, this morning and Sister Christy as well. Uh, the males are away in Florida. We want to continue to remember... Uh, Sister Mary Smith, she's starting to do a little bit better, but we always want to remember her in prayer. She's been having quite a tough time, and uh, we want to continue to remember Brother Richard as he's been taking care of her. Uh, we just want to continue to hold them up in prayer. Uh, we want to remember our Brother Andy Irish's, Andy's uh, mother, continue to remember her in prayer. And our sister Danielle uh, Swafford, they're in Florida as well. They went to visit him. If you have any unspoken prayer requests, just make it known. Aren't you thankful there's somewhere where we can come to this morning? Amen. The world goes through the same things we do in our normal life. They've got problems, whether it's family, financial, different situations, and there's nowhere that they can go to. Amen. I am so thankful there's a rock we can go to. Amen. This morning. Amen. It's good to see everybody today. We have a lot to be thankful for. Yeah, I'll just say this. I don't know a lot of your faces. A lot of you don't know mine. Most of the prayer requests that were mentioned today, I don't know them. But you know what? God knows each and every one of us. We're all his children. And at the same time, we're part of his bride. And even though we don't know all the people, sometimes we can still have compassion in our heart that our brothers and sisters are not as they could be. They're hurting. They're in need. And those that are away traveling, you know, when you have a family member that's away, you, you worry about them. But, you know, I'm just thankful to be here with y'all today and just look forward to what the Lord has for us. And, you know, there's people in this room right now that's going through problems in their life that they haven't told you about. And just keep everybody in your heart. Lord, I don't know what's going on in their life, but Lord, you know. You just never know. Some people are quiet, but let's just go to the Lord now and take these requests to Him. Lord Jesus, first of all, I want to thank you, Lord, for such a wonderful day, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings you put in our lives, Lord, and Lord, we want to thank you for Calvary. Lord, we want to thank you for the resurrection. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity, Lord, to accept your word. Lord, thank you for this message, Lord. Lord, thank you for our pastors. Lord, we just ask that you'll bless each and every one of our hearts, Lord, that we can receive from your word today, Lord. Lord, put something in our heart, Lord, that just touches us, Lord. Lord, you've heard the request. Some, some are sick, Lord. Some are away on vacation, Lord. And wherever they're at, Lord, we just 
pray that you would minister to their hearts, Lord, and meet the needs that are in our lives, Lord. Some are desperate situations, Lord. Maybe it's a need for someone else, Lord, a friend of ours or family member, Lord. But just pray that you'll just minister to each heart today. Lord, we may seem at times that our barns are full, Lord, but but they're not, Lord. We all are always in need, Lord. We, we have need of you, Lord. We have a need to be drawn closer to you, Lord. Lord, pray that you'll just be with each one today, Lord. Bless the brothers that brings forth the word today, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn and shake hands with those that are around you. Welcome them to the service. And then you may have your seats. Um, let's sing um, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, amen. Leaning on those everlasting arms. What a fellowship, what a joy. Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine. Everlasting on. Well, I'm leaning. Yes, I'm leaning. Well, safe and secure all along. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting on. Well, oh, how sweet. Walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. And oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. As I'm leaning, yes, I'm leaning, we'll safe and secure. From all alarms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Now what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Nothing leaning on those everlasting arms. Because I have blessed peace with my Lord so dear, leaning on the everlasting arms. For I'm leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting more time, because I'm leaning, amen, safe and secure from all along, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. 
Amen. We're going to have uh, Brother Keith is going to come and sing for us. While he's coming, uh, a couple announcements. Number one, June 22nd and 24th was Sister Simona and Brother Jonathan Walter's birthday. They're right here with us, but when you see them next, wish them happy birthday. Um, also, reminder, next Sunday after the morning service is... Uh, we're going to have a church luncheon in the fellowship hall to uh, celebrate our graduates from 2020 and 2021, I think. Get those 2020 folks back in there as well. Amen. God bless you. Most of you know I like these old, old songs. It was kind of exciting. Last, last week, whenever Brother John took us down through the camp meeting memory lane, I sure enjoyed that. But... I was out on the road this week, and being on the road, you're in different parts of the country, and it's amazing some of the things you see, and you really get a, a first-hand view of just where this, this country is going, and I'm, I'm certainly thankful. And my prayer is that God strengthen my desire more and more to live for Him. Don't let me fall by the wayside like so many are doing. Just keep me pressing forward. This old song, if you know it, help me sing it. <clears throat> Lord, I have started to walk in the light Shining upon me from heaven so bright Oh, I obeyed the world and its follies adieu I started in Jesus and I'm going through I'm going through Yes, I'm going through I'll pay the price Whatever others do I'll take the way With my Lord's chosen few I've started in Jesus And I'm going through walk with Jesus alone and have for a pillow like Jacob a stone oh living each moment with his face in view then shrink from my pathway and fail to go through Lord, I'm going through, I'm going through, I'll pay the price, whatever others do, I'll take the way with the Lord's chosen few, 
I've started in Jesus and I'm going through. I'm going through. Yes, I'm going through. I'll pay the price, whatever others do. I'll take the way with the Lord's chosen few. I've started in Jesus and I'm going through. Oh, I've started in Jesus and I'm going through. Let's uh, stand. We're going to ask the ushers to come at this time as we get ready to change the order of the service. Brother Jeff, if you could say grace over the offering. Amen. As uh, we get ready for Brother Barry to come, there is one last announcement I forgot. Happy Father's Day to, uh, <clears throat> to all of our fathers. Um, I know uh, now that I'm a father, uh, almost 16 years now, you don't realize that when you are a son, if you don't have kids, what that means and how proud you are of your children. So if you get a chance, tell your dad Happy Father's Day if you haven't yet, okay? Because I'm sure those who don't have their dads with them anymore would love to be able to do it one more time. So Happy Father's Day <clears throat> to, to all of our fathers. Amen. As Brother Barry comes, let's sing Something Keeps Holding Me. I'm thankful. Amen. No matter what's going on, something keeps holding us. Amen, aren't you? Aren't you thankful for that? The trials of this world were getting closer. <clears throat> well, the pull I felt was more than I could bear. Well, and I was on the verge of giving over. strength within myself just wasn't there amen oh something keeps holding me every day I see he's helping me faithfully to overcome my trials and guiding me constantly will giving me victory he's a reality and something keeps holding me now Satan laid before me his 
temptation will in his desire to steal away my faith oh but I have found in time the revelation amen will the strength I need to keep me in His grace. Oh, something keeps holding me. Will every day I see He's helping me faithfully to overcome my trials. Oh, God, Giving me victory. He's a reality. Something keeps holding me. Oh, something keeps holding me. Every day. time singing now oh something keeps holding me every especially Brother Ron Spencer. Brother Ron has, <clears throat> um, Brother Ron's a fighter, that's for sure. He texted me this morning and he said, he said, I'm thankful, or he said it this way, he said, I kissed the waves that slammed me up against the rock of ages all the time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to be able to come to you, Lord, in prayer, to be able to come to you, Lord, in faith, believing, Lord, that you love to reward your people. You reward them that diligently seek you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, now, we commit this service, this time into your hands. We pray, Father, that you would just take complete control. You would bind every contrary spirit and take all of our spirits under your control. For, Lord, this is not about us. This is about you. And, Father, we reserve this time and this place for you, asking that you would 
first look at us through the blood of Calvary's cross. Forgive us, Lord, of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, we pray for those who are in need today, and there are many. We pray for those who are not here, and there are many. And Lord, we pray especially for Brother Ron Spencer, and ask, dear God, that you would just continue to give our brother strength. It is not for us, Lord, to ask why or how. Lord, your prophet taught us we should just only believe that all things are possible. For with you, there's nothing impossible. And so, Lord, we who have faith and we who are strong today, we lift him up before the throne of grace and ask that you would just come on the scene and minister to him, Lord. Bring healing to his body. Father, we pray now that you would just bless all of our families and all the dads who are here today, Lord. The dads who are in our memory, the dads who are in our presence. And Lord, we just ask that you would just come and just speak to our hearts through the word of life. And we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. God bless you. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. Thank you, musicians. Thank you, Brother Ben. We appreciate you uh, lending your part today. It's great to have all of you here today. But I think we could probably have a Cockman uh, concert here this morning. But by now, you may have figured out that one of the Cockmans are going to be baptized. And we're going to baptize three this morning, Lord willing, uh, maybe more. But uh, Sophie is going to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And uh, Nathan Brown and also Lincolnton Clayville uh, are going to be baptized uh, this morning. So we're excited and thankful for that. Let me give you just a little preliminary, little uh, couple of announcements, and then we'll uh, jump right into it this morning. Just a reminder, we're going to open up our registration uh, very soon, we're just preparing some details to put on there, uh, but the men's meeting is September 24th to the 26th, so we want you to uh, mark that. I wanted to show you three, four pictures, actually, well, five, uh, this morning here, and I, I just love these pictures because these are uh, pictures that represent a scripture that's very dear to me in Romans chapter 10, and the Bible says, how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And now as we see, uh, you know, materials and Bibles and uh, things being distributed all over the world, we see these missionaries that are taking them with them. And over here we have Brother Malachi on the left here who's traveling among the uh, indigenous people in uh, southern, the, what's called the southern highlands of Tanzania, which is uh, a real, real primitive place. This is Pastor John from Duska in Pakistan, who's on his motorbike, and he's got a package of those church-age books and some other sermons there, and he's just traveling the highways bringing uh, books to the believers. I love this picture. Brother George Smith sent us this one, and uh, we can't identify uh, exactly where this is, and not because of the geography, but because of the people. There's somebody in this picture who they did not want to identify. Uh, but this is in Central America, and these brothers are traveling up over the mountains where there are no roads. And they've got sa saddlebags full of church-age books right here. And they're taking, those, uh, they're taking those books up over the mountains there to believers in real small little communities. I'm thankful for people that have a zeal like that. I'm thankful for people that will go into places like this. And, uh, you know, without, um, I mean, I'm not telling them to do that. I'm not. I'm not paying anybody to do that. They're just doing that because they believe, like us, the message is worth distributing. 
the message is worth giving out. And so it's just exciting to see all the places that the, the message is going. I wanted to say this as well, that uh, in some of the, I had a phone call this morning, and uh, some of the places like Zambia and even Zimbabwe, there are, uh, they're being ravaged by uh, some of the variants of the virus that are there, and some, uh, there are some people who are uh, uh, very much affected by that, and it's, uh, you know, without any supply of vaccines and so forth, the people are very vulnerable, and so they're beginning now to ask for prayer, so that's just something for you to mark down and uh, keep on your hearts there. And I wanted to introduce someone this morning to you uh, who's listening this morning, he and his family. This is Brother uh, Precious Matakanji, and uh, he is uh, living in Malawi, and uh, this is his wife, Esther, and his three sons, Gideon, Joshua, and Mordecai, and uh, they uh, are very uh, faithful brothers. We've gotten to know them, and uh, they are um, instrumental in helping to uh, establish the... Uh, work and distribution in Malawi among all of the churches there and uh, doing a very great work. And so they're listening this morning, so we welcome them. He told me uh, that, uh, he said, you just have such a lovely church. He said, it's easy to watch. And he said, you folks are good singers. And I said, I know, I know. Not my doing, but uh, we welcome them this morning and just pray that God would bless them. And you'll eventually, Lord willing, uh, you'll get to meet uh, Brother Precious, and hopefully we'll get him over here maybe for the men's meeting. And uh, it'd be really nice to be able to have him come and minister for us. Just a real man of God, and we're thankful to be working with him. Uh, just want to say a special shout-out to the McKinney's here today. Uh, God bless you. Uh, it's an honor to have you here, and uh, brings back lots of memories there. God bless you. Good to, good to have you from Ohio. All right, let's take our Bibles, if you don't mind, a wise man is strong. Let's take a reading in the book of uh, Proverbs, or book of Proverbs that says Psalms, but that's not right. Let's go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 24. I'm usually not a theme person, but today is Father's Day, and I wish all of you a happy Father's Day, and uh, may your day be blessed, whether your father is with you, distant from you, or a memory. May God bless you and um, all the fathers that are here today. It's a very important job in the eyes of God, and uh, we just trust your day will be blessed. So I thought we'd just uh, review two principles that, uh, that are important in relation to fathers and fatherhood. And this is a familiar passage of scripture, Proverbs 24, let's begin at verse 3. Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established. Not through money, not through numbers, but through wisdom is a house built. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and, a multitude of, and in the multitude of counselors there's safety. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. Let me start off in a kind of a traditional way, and then we just want to uh, deal with these two principles. And I, I want to save the 
a uh, little more important one here, well, not more important, but perhaps more uh, significant for us uh, at, towards the second part here. Now, the word wise man is a, um, we have a, a picture of what a wise man is. In the Bible here, Solomon writes this word, and he's referring to somebody who is ethically and morally sound. A wise man is strong. Somebody who has an ethic about him, somebody who has moral fiber about him, somebody who has integrity. Uh, even though many times you're made to feel like those words belong in a museum, they're still pertinent. And they still matter to God. A wise man is strong. And a man of knowledge increases strength. And I believe that our strength doesn't come from, um, you know, our own ability. It doesn't come from outside, something that you can learn. We can learn facts and we can obtain degrees. But I think real wisdom comes from God. And I believe wisdom is an attribute of God. And, and so therefore, if we are considered wise, it is because of what God has done for us. Can you say Amen. Now, we find this word in many places in the Bible, or hundreds of places where it's described. But I really like this first time that it's used, when Pharaoh, uh, who's not a believer, but he's the monarch over all of Egypt, and over he's the superpower of his day. And Joseph advises him, when Joseph's taken out of the prison, and he's, he's brought in front of Pharaoh, uh, he tells Pharaoh what's going to befall the nation of Egypt. What's coming, the famines and the blessings that are going to come. And therefore, his advice to Pharaoh, his counsel to Pharaoh, is therefore let Pharaoh take out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. You need a manager. You need somebody who can put his hands on things and run things because the land is going to be blessed and uh, there's going to be seven years of plenty. But after that is going to come a very difficult time. And so uh, you need to have a man who... Uh, not only revels in the fact that he has plenty, but he knows what to do with the plenty. He knows how to uh, be a proper steward over what God has provided. And, and that's the idea that Joseph is suggesting to him. And he said, put him over the land. And then let him have those who would help him, officers of the land and so forth, and uh, let them work under this person who is discreet and wise. But that's the characteristics that Pharaoh needs to see in somebody. And that's the kind of man that you want to have who's leading you through some pretty difficult times. These are going to be difficult times ahead. And God's telling him that. This is not a, you know, maybe so. This is going to happen. You're going to have times of plenty, but you're going to have a rough time after that. And you need somebody who's going to be able to guide you through all of that sound, solid, somebody who can't be bought and influenced, somebody who's not going to be in this just to make a bunch of money here. Uh, we don't want corruption at all. This is the opposite of that. We want a man who has discretion and wisdom in knowing exactly what he should do. That's what Pharaoh's told. Imagine. And then Pharaoh, in verse 48, down in the chapter, Pharaoh says to his servants, hey, do we know anybody like this? Is there anybody in the kingdom who's like this? He says unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all of this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. And I think that's probably because Joseph didn't say, hey, look, if you can't find anybody, I'm available. And if the price is right, you know, and the benefits are good, hey, I'm your man. Joseph was not pushing to be in this spot here. Joseph was a person who truly was discreet and wise. And we also know that because that's how it turned out, right? We've read the end of the story, and we know how it turned out. But that's the characteristic, and Pharaoh has got enough about him. He's smart enough 
to be able to recognize that, hey, this kind of discretion and wisdom is different. This is special. And we need a guy uh, like this. And there are not many that I've ever met. But Joseph, you are an unusual person. And there's something about you that I recognize in a character and a virtue and a discretion and sense and a rock-solid ability about you to be able to weather the storms here because you've just gone through the last 21 years in adverse circumstances. I don't doubt that Pharaoh knew the history of the man he was talking to there in his court and says, hey, there's none so discreet and wise as thou art. And so he elevates Joseph into that place. And I pray that God would give every one of us a spirit of discretion and wisdom, especially in the days that we're living in and especially in the days ahead. How many of you brothers would love to have that prayer answered in your life? That God would give me that kind of discretion and wisdom. And I'm sure your wives would probably love to have that prayer answered as well. Because we, are headed, we know, like they did back there, we've had blessings over, the, over many years. And I believe we're heading into times that are going to be unusual. And we'll shake everything that can be shaken. And so therefore, we need to have the wisdom of God. There's two things I want to deal with this morning. And number one. Masculinity and fatherhood matter to God. That's why God made a man manly, and that's why God instituted fatherhood, because they matter to God. Brother Branham tells us that fatherhood is an attribute of God. It is an actual attribute of God. And, there, and therefore, uh, masculinity and fatherhood, or the lack thereof, have a profound influence on children or the generation that are coming up. Secondly, the thing that I want to speak about is the, uh, the aspect of origin when it comes to the meaning of fatherhood. It speaks of origin, it speaks of ownership. And so we want to talk about those two things this morning. Now, the Bible says that uh, whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. Whoso keepeth his, the law is a wise son. Solomon was blessed as long as he kept uh, as, it, as long as he kept the, the law of David and respected the principles that uh, David brought. Let me give you an example. I love this little story, and I've used it many times. It's a great, uh, great illustration of something that is simple, yet it's profound. I want you to just to follow me here. This is a story of uh, David and his father. Now, you've got you to gotta hand it to Jesse. He's a man who really, I mean, he doesn't slay any giants. He doesn't lead any armies. He doesn't really do a lot of stuff, right, in the Bible. It just kind of acknowledges him as David's father. But David was a man after God's own heart. And so you got to think that God in his planning, and God's a planner, he had to think about, wow, if David's going to be such a great man, and I know he is, and he's going to uh, be the first real king of my choosing in Israel, what kind of a man do I want to entrust him to to bring him up? What kind of a man do I want to have David uh, call his father, natural father, so that he could influence David to help bring out some of the things that David's going to need? Who, what kind of a man? Who, is there a man in the kingdom who can raise a man after my own heart? And you know who he chooses? Jesse. And that's why I believe that Brother Branham says that little David, he was raised in a lovely, believing home, and his father was a great man of God. Brother Branham calls him a great man of God. There's not too many people that are called a great man of God in, in Brother Branham's ministry. You won't find too many places there. But no doubt, uh, Brother Branham says that 
They all gathered around at night. Let's, let's listen now to how he described a great man of God in Jesse. No doubt gathered all the boys around at night before he had family prayer and before they went to bed and probably read the scrolls and talked about Jehovah and how he brought them out of the Red Sea, through the Red Sea and opened up the, uh, with the led with the pillar of fire and all these things and it created faith in the heart of that little boy. David's one of many, right? I mean, it's a bunch of brothers and they're all big guys and and, and David's sitting there at nighttime, and here they are, uh, you know, it, it, the sun is setting, and all the work is done, and Jesse comes in, and he just kind of sits in his chair, and all the boys gather around and say, Father, just a story before we go to bed. And Jesse hauls out the scroll, and, you know, unrolls it there, and he says, what do you want to hear tonight, boys? And, ah, oh, tell the story about the Red Sea. And, and so here Jesse gets up, and, you know, in his own way, Jesse probably gets up and begins to act that out, and, you know, stands there like Moses on the rock and holds up his hands and, and uh, cries out to the sea and the sea opens up. And, and, and Jesse, you know, in the way that, uh, you know, fathers will do, especially if you have young boys. I, we raised young boys. They're not young anymore. And uh, we decided to stay with boys. And it was a good decision. It was a good decision, really. Uh, because they all married really nice girls. And they brought granddaughters into the picture. And that's just a real blessing, I'll tell you that. And so we, uh, you know, I remember in my early days of, of telling the boys Bible stories, we didn't, we didn't sit down and play a tape like Future Home, which is three hours long, and play that before bedtime, because bedtime would have came a little earlier if we had done that. Not that that's a bad thing, not that that's a bad thing at all, but I remember many times jumping up on the bed and being the Goliath and using one of the boys for, a, a, you know, a... A David and, and dramatizing things and just kind of making it relative to them. Anyway, David is here listening to this and it just sparked faith in his heart. That you know, a, a man like Moses or a man like uh, Gideon or a man like Shamgar or, you know, just, just people who were in, in, the, in, the, in the church, people who were in the body back then, the, the Israelites traveling and how they did great exploits for God. They were just kind of ordinary men. Shamgar was no great hero, but he, he did great things, did great, a great thing that was never forgotten and, and recorded in the history of Israel. And David's sitting there thinking, wow, you know, that's just, that's fascinating. I love to hear the stories. And Brother Branham says that that's why God calls him a great man of God, because Jesse influenced his son in the realm of faith, told him stories and inspired him. And, you know, built up that in the heart of David. And David never knew he was going to be a king, right? David never knew what he was going to eventually become. Uh, he just was impressed with the stories of, of faith and the things that were done. And so Brother Branham describes Jesse as a great man of God. And that's the man that God gave David to in order to bring him up in the way that he should go. David didn't know he was a king. Let me tell you something. Jesse never knew that David was going to be a king. The brothers never knew that David was going to be a king. David's mom, we don't even know what her name is, but she never knew he was going to be a king. Even Samuel never knew that he was going to be a king, but God knew he was going to be a king, right? David never knew it. David had no idea that he was going to be the first king of Israel. And I've said it before many times. I'll say it again just once more. Probably not just once more, but I'll say it again. And that is this, that, you know, we can cut open an apple and count the seeds that are in it, but only God can take a seed and count how many apples come from it. Let me say that again. We can cut open an apple and count the seeds that are in it. But only God can look at a seed and count how many apples are going to come from it. God knows exactly what he's placed inside you. And he knows exactly what that will become. 
You may not know. I may not know. And your parents or your siblings may not know. But God knows exactly what he's placed inside you. And he knows exactly how to bring it out. And in the early formative years, God allowed David to sit there in the house of Jesse and hear simple stories about faith and the exploits of men of God who really were not anything special, but they just believed in Jehovah and his power to be able to intercede on behalf of his people and to carry them from one place to another and to intercede in times of great difficulty. And David began to believe that. David, you know, he held that in his heart. And then Brother Branham goes on and describes, he said, one day David's out watching the sheep and there's a bear comes up. And David down, somewhere down deep in his heart, and to me this is the real way parents should evangelize their children, so that they come to the place where out of their own heart, and look at the quote here, Brother Branham says that David, when he saw that bear, saw that lion come, now what am I going to say to my father about the sheep missing? And he happened to remember he happened to recall, my father read from the scrolls and told me that God was a great God to deliver his people and that he would bless Israel and he was with Israel. God was with Israel and all that circumcised in that covenant and God's blessing is upon them and I'm one of them and I'm circumcised and God, he's going through this in the field. I mean, you got to think about something when a line is coming, right? And he says, and God's blessing is upon me and I have a right he says, I have a right, not because I deserve it, but because I'm a child of Israel and we are a covenant people, I have a right. And one of my father's sheep is gone. I'm going after that sheep. And he grabbed his slingshot, went after that, killed the lion. And he said, why? Because he was perseverant, last line. And what's God doing? He's training him. That's a school we all go through. Because there's coming something else after that. Next line, a bear came in. And so David is learning principles here that are timeless principles. They don't fail. And David's got those instilled in his heart at a young age. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't go hear these things and seek them out when he's 25, but rather he hears them first when he is five. And God has done something and already deposited something in the heart of, of David by his father, and if you fathers are unclear about what your first job is, that's it. Do whatever you can to deposit it in the hearts of your children the strength of our God that we serve. Let me read on a little bit further. And one day when he took his brothers something to eat, the armies came across the valley, and you know the story how David looked out there and said, my goodness, isn't there a man who could go out and meet Goliath? And he looked around in the camp, and he saw Saul there and, and said, hey, you know, Saul, you're the biggest man. Saul's not going out. He's not going. He, he's he looking at that obstacle. He ain't going nowhere. And David says, well, why don't he go out there? God, my father, I know that if you care much for these lambs out here, how much do you care for people that's called by thy name? And now they're in conflict. And he got very perseverant. And he took after Goliath with the same slingshot. And he won the victory. Why? Because he believed in what he was trying to achieve and he was in the will of God, and he was in the word of God. And I say this to you today, you fathers, if you're in the will of God and in the word of God, press on in trying to influence your children. And you that are sitting in the home of your father, listen well. Listen well. Whether you're in the home of your natural father, or whether you're in this church, or whether you're in a place where the message is preached, I say this, you should listen well, because God wants to influence you. I said God wants to influence you towards the kingdom and not towards the world. <clears throat> I believe that God's, that's God's desire is to influence you towards the world. 
I think I read you this statement one time before, back in Time Magazine on an issue that was dedicated to fatherhood and marriage. The statement was made, we need fathers to step up to realize that their jobs do not end at conception. What makes you a man is not the ability to have a child, but the courage to raise one. What's interesting is who said it. Let me read on a little bit further in the same article, all right, the next paragraph. Watch this. On every single significant outcome related to short-term well-being and long-term success, and every measure, by every statistic, by every analysis, children from intact two-parent families outperform those from single-parent households. Longevity, drug abuse, school performance, dropout rates, teen pregnancy, criminal behavior, and incarceration or imprisonment, and in all cases, the kids living with both parents drastically outperform the others. In all cases. Here's a president now who's observing the nation, talking about describing the State of the Union, and he's, he's describing that in every, in every single kind of a review that we can give, there's a, there, there is a, a difference in children that are raised in two-parent households. I, I saw this statistic, and I, I, I meant to ask you about this, that 85, not that Brother Andy is from fresh out of prison. I, you, can really, you can really mess things up by doing those little things, can't you? Brother Andy works in, you know, in, and assists in one of these uh, areas here, does a great work and, with youth. And 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes. To me, that, that really struck my heart. If that, if that is really true, and you talk about, uh, you know, what, what, what it is that led them to the life they live, what, why is that they are doing what they're doing? And, you know, what, what, is the, what are the influences that brought them to this place? Or what went wrong? Why are you, why are you living this kind of a life? Why are you a repeat offender? Why, why is this happening over and over? Why are there so many of you that are uh, in prison, you know, with this statistic here? And when they, when they look at this, what's really sad is when the government looks at this and the thinking of the government uh, is that poverty is the cause of crime. And in, in a, in a re- very real sense, that's absurd. That's crazy. Because you can go back and look at the times of prosperity from the 1900s to 1930 when the country was booming back there and there was a a real uh, surge in crime. Once the depression hit, the level of crime went down. In every season of prosperity in our nation, uh, the, the level of crime has gone up. And now we live in a time when people have more money than ever before. And crime is at one of its highest rates. Matter of fact, it's interesting, isn't it, that in many other third world countries, the crime rates are way, way lower than what they are in America. Not because they have more money. In reality, they have less. State by state, the analysis suggests that whenever there's a 10% increase in the percentage of children living in single-parent homes, there is a 17% increase in juvenile crime. you got to think about that. That when there is an increase, just a 10% increase in the amount of children in single-parent homes, it leads typically to a, seven, a, a disproportional amount of, of an increase in crime, juvenile crime. That's an amazing thing. You know why? Because there are kids out there without a leader. 
Let me just, this is, this is typical now, but I'm, I'm going to switch in just a moment here. The U.S. has the highest rate of children living in single-parent households. The United States has this. For decades, the share of U.S. children living, in a single parent, uh, living with a single parent has been rising and accompanied by a decline in marriage rates and a rise in births outside of marriage. They say that now, and I think the statistic is right at, right at 50% now, where 50% of children are born outside of marriage in the U.S. And so marriage rates decline mainly because a lot of young people and millennials have less confidence in marriage and less belief that marriage is going to work because statistically, uh, you know, so many people get a divorce, so I'm going to choose to cohabit. I'm just I'm going to choose to live together. And even if we have uh, children, uh, it doesn't matter. Then we don't have to suffer a divorce. In other words, I don't have to pay alimony. I don't have to support my wife and children uh, if we separate because we've never been married. And there's, there's a shift in thinking, certainly in our culture. I don't think you need to be convinced of that. And the, the, the studies suggest that 130 countries and territories shows that the U.S. has the world's highest rate of children living in single-parent homes. So this is what the graph looks like. This is the percentage of families that are one-parent families. And unfortunately, that's really not getting any better over time. The world average is 7%. And this last number over here is 30.2% on top of the graph. The world average is 7 So America is exponentially, exponentially above that. And in 1960, we were at 9% when you look at the details of the graph here. So, there's, there's, I mean, something's gone wrong. And the government is still saying that poverty is, is the reason why, uh, or sorry, uh, finances here and, and, and uh, lack of funds is a reason uh, for the, the cause of crime in our country here. And, uh, you know, in other words, they, they've kind of rejected the common sense approach that that people knew for years and years, the common sense answer. Hey, folks, wake up. God has given you insight into something that the world has forgotten. And, ar and around you, the thinking is different than the, the thinking of, of God's kingdom and the thinking of God's word. And, and God instituted this. This is God's idea that, that fathers play an important role, that fathers have, make a significant difference in the lives of their children. That's God's idea. And because it's God's idea, the world loves to reject things that are God's idea. But I say this, we should fully and wholly and enthusiastically embrace this idea and tell our children, we should model for our children that marriage is a good thing. Fatherhood is a good thing. Motherhood is a good thing. It's a sacred thing that's ordained by God. And mother, mothers are in a very different position than fathers. And mothers can't be fathers and fathers can't be mothers. They're meant to complement one another. That's the way God designed it. They're meant to complement one another. And, and our, culture, our culture is bent on belittling and demeaning men in the role of fatherhood. But let me tell you, even though they try to do that, and Hollywood is very good at doing that, and marketing is very good at doing that, it's still God's idea. It's still God's way. And it's right. And we should preach it, and we should talk about it, and we should model it before our children and our grandchildren. There's another aspect of fatherhood here that I want to just share with you, and this is where Paul describes his ministry to uh, the church back in the time of, of uh, 
the Thessalonians. And the Thessalonian people were under great persecution during this time. There was lots of things that, that they were surrounded by that were violent and negative. And there was lots of persecution for this people here. And so Paul is writing them to help them uh, and encourage them on a day, daily basis here. And he says, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel only, but our own souls, because you were, you were dear unto us. Now, I just didn't want to stop for a moment on that word imparted there, uh, because it's a, it's a principle that's found all through Scripture that Paul says, we not only came to you to bring the gospel, which we did and which we do, but we also wanted to impart our souls to you. In other words, uh, we're thankful that other churches gave funds that you, we could bring to you people here so that you could be uh, helped during a time of uh, unemployment. And, you know, if, you're, if people are being persecuted, it was hard for them to move around and supply for their family. And Paul says, I'm just thankful for the opportunity to come and impart. I brought things to you. I wanted to minister to you, not just the gospel and not just the preaching, but I wanted to bring some things to you because I know the kinds of things you're going through. And, and we relate to that. And he said, I want to encourage you in that. And he says, we behaved ourselves kind of like, as he describes it here, like a nurse would cherish her children. As, as somebody who would be willing to impart whatever you needed and whatever, whatever we could find. I remember, I've said before, I remember, you know, like when a woman craves something when she's expecting a child, uh, fathers will usually do whatever they can to provide that for their wife. It's strange, right? It's odd. Uh, I, I, I only know that by observation. But when a woman craves something, uh, she might have a, you know, a sense, so I need, I need watermelon. I just need to have watermelon. And what's happening is, and you mothers know this better than I would, that the baby is actually calling for the, 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 the forming of that child is actually calling for something. And in the process of gestation, in the process of pregnancy, the baby will draw it from the mother's body and take what she has, take what supply that she has, and the mother then craves it because the baby's got it. Now what you may not know is that watermelon is full of iron. And when my wife was bearing our firstborn, she was all the time craving watermelon. I mean, she had a passion for watermelon. And it was because, the, technically, the baby, Andrew, wanted to have iron. He drew it from her body, and so she had to replenish the stores, and that's why the craving is there. I, I, I've, never, I've never seen anything like her eat watermelon. And uh, I'd go to the grocery store, and we lived in a house that didn't have air conditioning, and so we loved to go to Kroger's, and I'd put her in the cart, I'd lift her up and put her in the cart, and it was air conditioned, and man, it was just great. We'd roll around Kroger's for a good 45 minutes to an hour, and, you know, we didn't need to buy anything else. We didn't have the money to buy much else, but I'd buy two or three watermelons and put them in the cart, and uh, she'd say, is that all we're buying? I'd say, yeah. I mean, I, I'd never seen anybody eat watermelon like her. We'd go home, and I'd take the big knife, cut it in two, lay it out. She'd take the salt shaker and just put it on there. I'd never seen that before. That's a southern trait. And she's southern by the grace of God. And, and so she'd put the salt on there, and uh, she'd sit down with the, 
uh, spoon and she'd just, you know, work her way through one of them, spit out the seeds and then take the other one and work her way down through it. She had me clear out the fridge and put another watermelon in there for tomorrow and she'd do the same thing. And it was craving iron. Never seen anybody. <laughs> Never seen anybody do that. We had a surplus of rhymes all over our house, all over the garden. It was just really great. But Andrew, you know, he, he got his iron and uh, that's, that's the way that it was. And Paul is, is actually using a phrase that's very similar to this, that he said, I, I, I would desire to come and impart to you. I want to give to you whatever is absolutely the best thing for you. I want to provide that. That's my, that's my heart that I want to give that. And you know where that attribute comes from? It comes from God. Now watch here in 2 Samuel, and this is God dealing with Solomon here. And he says, moreover, I will appoint, watch what he says, watch the promise that he gives here. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. There's nothing wrong with moving if you feel, feel led to move. But God's, God's blessing is obvious when a, when a family, uh, when a people are planted and they're not nomadic anymore. They don't have roots. They don't have an established place. Uh, they have, a, they have a, a permanent home that they can call their own. Isn't that a, it, it, I mean, I'm very thankful that I have a, a home that I can call my own, a place that I can call my own. Hey, let's, let's say it this way. Aren't you glad to have a home church? Wherever your home church is, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we have a home church, a place that we can come back to and a place that we can call, this is my place. This is a, a, you know, a place where I've met God or my children have met God. And this is the idea that God promises Solomon, I'll plant them and they'll have a place of their own and they will move no more. Neither will the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies... Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. He will make a house. And when thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father. And he shall be my son. This is the way the relationship's going to be. And if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of children of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul. Isn't that a great promise? And God said, I, I know you need a place. I know our history is full of years of wandering and, you know, being here and going in 40 years in the wilderness and all the years that uh, you had the tabernacle and the promises over 400 years in Egypt. And I, I, God says, I know that. But I tell you what, I'm here to give you what you need. And that is a place I'm going to establish my house in this land that I promised Father Abraham. And you're the people that are going to witness that. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this house here. And in that place, I'm going to have a relationship. I'm going to establish it like a father and a son. And I'm going to have that in this place. And from that, I will provide everything you have need of. And notice what he says back here in verse 11. And when your enemies come and when the uh, children of, of iniquity come, when, whenever things arise, I want you to know I'm going to be right there to defend you. I'm going to be right there to stand with you because I love you and I care for you. And this is the promise that he's given Solomon there. What a great promise that he gives. Deuteronomy chapter 1, same thing. And then I, said un, then I said unto you, dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you. Moses is telling them the same thing. 
that, that the, God who, uh, the God who has promised us is the God who stays with us. And the God who uh, you know, made, made assurances of our deliverance, he's the one that's going to see us through. And when our enemies become too great, then I will be there. I will be there to defend you. Verse 31, and in the wilderness, he said, where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bear thee as a man doth bear his son. And yes, that's the way it's spelled in the, in the Old Testament there. As, as the Lord God bear thee as a man doth bear his son. That's the picture that God wants to portray in the scripture here, like a father would carry his son. And, and when you, uh, you know, when you take your family out on a hike and you plan to go up the hill and you think, oh, wow, this is not a problem. And then you realize the, the littlest one, probably not going to make it up the hill. Well, you know, rather than forsake the hike, I'm going to carry the pack that I've got, but I'm going to carry the littlest one too and put him on my, on my shoulders and carry him up there. That's exactly the idea that Father God has for you and I. And remember now, he's the same, right? Yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And what he was, he still is today. Do you believe that? And let me tell you, in your weariness and in your struggle to get up on top of the mountain here, and in your weariness in fighting battles there, you always got to remember that you're not alone, but you have somebody that is willing to pick you up and carry you in the times you can't carry yourself. Do you believe that today? What a, what a shame if we don't use the resource of his presence on a regular basis. You can always turn to him. You can always reach out to him. He is a lift he will carry, he will support, sustain, and endure his people. We find in Genesis chapter 50 here the same idea. And Jacob, uh, Jacob's sons did unto him according as he commanded them. And for his sons carried him into the land of Canaan. And so Jacob, uh, you know, f uh, realized that Joseph was actually alive after all of these years believing that he was dead. And, and Joseph was too old. He couldn't uh, make the journey himself. So his sons carried him. I got, I only got one here today. Good luck, Lucas. I tell you what, I, I will say this. I feel blessed in having the assurance in my heart that I could turn to my adult sons right now and they'd be right there. And I feel like that's a real blessing. If I need to be carried, they'd be right there. If I need to be carried financially, if I need to be carried emotionally, if I need to be carried through some experience that I didn't anticipate, I believe I could call on them and they'd be right there. And you know what that is? That's the spirit of fatherhood that God puts in the heart of a man. And fathers, if you don't know what your second role is, that's it right there. To have the willingness to carry your children. To have the willingness to be a, a, a bearer of good things. Brother Branham describes Job as a real father. He gave, uh, he, he gave this consideration about his children. Now remember, Job was a blessed man, wealthy, lots of possessions. And Job is in a place where he's offering sacrifices. In other words, he's going to church, paying his tithes. He's faithful in everything he knows to do. But he's even doing a little extra for his children. And I believe, and I, we've talked about this before here, I believe that 
Job, according to the language that is found in the Hebrew, and this is the ancient language of Hebrew, there's modern Hebrew and there's biblical Hebrew way back. And in the ancient interpretation, it is that Job did not want his children to take for granted the blessings that were bestowed on them because they were the sons of Job. And he offered sacrifices in case they felt a sense of entitlement. Like, you know, God's going to bless us because Job's our daddy. And we're in good shape because Job's my father. And so, you know, we can, we can carry on. We can stretch it a little bit. And maybe, and I'm not saying they did that. But I'm saying that Job offered sacrifices on behalf of his children in case they ever developed an attitude like that. Because the spirit of entitlement is a real thing. And you'll find it in lots of interesting places. I read where Brother Branham talked about Cain and Abel and how that uh, Cain came to the altar and offered all the beautiful offerings he did and put them up there and he stood back and looked at it and thought, my, this is fantastic. And he said, now God, bless me. He felt like God enti- he was entitled to a blessing because he had made it so nice. And he was not correct. But he felt like he was. And so his response is, now, Lord, you owe me a blessing. Brother Branham said he didn't know that at all. But he had a sense of, he had a feeling of entitlement. And I think it's a really subtle thing for us to guard against, especially in our time and especially in our, in our circumstance here because we really are a blessed people, right? We have, we've, we've got many good things given to us. You, hey, listen, God decided to send a prophet who spoke English. And you, uh, you and I, and I put myself there, we have no idea how great that is to be able to listen to everything firsthand without having an interpreter. Everyone else on earth who speaks another language, and the majority of people don't speak English, but everyone else has to listen to Brother Branham through an interpreter. It's another language. And I will tell you that no matter how good interpreters are, and I respect them very highly, no matter how good they are, there's always a struggle to get every idea, every thought conveyed. But you, but you, we sit here and we think, wow, you know, hey, uh, you know, we, we, we can turn on Brother Bam's message anytime. You can have it on your phone. You can have it in your car, wh- whatever. You, you, know the, you know the line. I will tell you what, don't ever get a sense of entitlement like, uh, you know, like uh, God owes me something because we, we, we're in this church or we're, uh, we, you know, we live in such a, we've been so faithful and we've given the missions or something else. Hey, listen, every one of us are here because of the grace of God. And every one of us will, will make it only because of his amazing grace. Every one of us stand forgiven because of the price Jesus paid. And never should any one of us ever feel like, God, we are entitled to something because, uh, you know, we've been in a message all of these years. Brother Branham simply says that Job had an eye to his children because he knew, he knew human nature. The second thing that I want to talk about, and I don't want to be long here, but the second thing that I want to talk about is that father, the word father uh, in the Bible, it speaks of an originator of something. Um, like Jesus in John chapter 8, he described uh, Satan as the father of lies. And an originator is where something starts from, obviously. Brother Man, in the message is shamed. He said, now, if you, name it, uh, if you name it a name of denomination, all right, they accept the fatherhood of denomination. Here's Brother Branham describing, uh, you know, the modern thinking of people who are in 
denominational systems. And they, they're thinking that way because they feel like, well, we're protected if we're in a denomination. We're in a system that has accountability. Uh, you know, and we're, we're a group and we have strength. It's kind of like the idea that Israel wanted to have a king to be like all the other nations. We want to have security. We want to have an armed forces. We want to have, uh, you know, a regal presence to identify us, not just an invisible God. Are you following me? And so Brother Branham says that people will actually accept the fatherhood of a denomination. I got to stop and say this. Everything on this earth came from one of two places. Everything on this earth comes from one, or two, one of two places. It either comes from God or it doesn't come from God. Are we okay? There are not, there are not multiple sources here. There's not, let me tell you, and, and I want to add this, which, is, which makes it a little more, more interesting, is that Satan himself is not a creator. He's only a perverter of the things that God creates. And so here are people, he said, in a denomination, and they accept the fatherhood of, of that denomination. We know where this came from. We know the source of this group here. But when it comes to accepting the fatherhood of the word, Christ, no, they're embarrassed. There's a difference between the fatherhood of a church and the fatherhood of the word. All right, uh, uh, all right I'll explain that. There's a difference between the fatherhood of a church and the fatherhood of the word. The fatherhood of a church is actually not, it's not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. Because many of you people had your spiritual start in this church. Many of you had a restart in this church. And that's not a bad thing. You know, you remember the, the person who baptizes you. You, re, you have a kind of a, a bond with the person. You all, some of you are shaking your head. You remember the, per, I, the brother who baptized me, uh, you know, he's long gone. But I, I remember that day with fondness. I remember his care with me, and I remember him taking the time to explain things to me, and I, I appreciated that very much, and I, I still remember that with fondness. And in a sense, I look at, I look at that place as a, uh, you know, a, good, a good place, good memory of, of that place, because that's where I got my spiritual start, and I'm thankful that there was a place that I could go. But you know what? I don't worship that place. I, I don't have... I don't have a bond to that place where they would dictate to me, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, what I should do and what I should believe. Because I've accepted the fatherhood of the word. The fatherhood of Christ. And Brother Bram's drawing a distinction here. He's, it's not a bad thing to be a part of a church, obviously. But let me tell you, our fatherhood or our origin is not from this church. Our origin is from God. Like Jesus said, I come from God and I go to God. And what's really important here, listen, what's really important is that your origin is your destiny. Right? You believe that? If you come from God, guess what? You're going to go back to God. That's why end time evangelism is such a unique thing. And Brother Branham, Brother Branham described or defined end-time evangelism very differently than uh, many other end-time evangelists in our world. Because a, a typical evangelist, not in the message, but a typical evangelist will have people come to the altar and give their heart to Christ and say, you know, there's where your eternal life begins. And that's not true at all. Your eternal life doesn't begin at the altar. Your eternal life doesn't begin in the pool. Your eternal life doesn't begin because you made a decision. 
If you have eternal life, you always had eternal life. It was just buried under layers of sin and a bad nature that you got from mom and dad, right? But you always had eternal life. You just found out you had eternal life. And you might have, might have had an experience of repentance and, uh, you know, slobbering here at the altar or, uh, you know, in, in repenting before God. You may have had that experience there, and that's a good thing. But you didn't realize you were not just a son of your parents, but you are truly and indeed a son of God, a son of the living God. And that's my origin. And Brother Branham didn't come along and say, come on to the altar and begin eternal life. He didn't do that. Brother Branham taught about attributes. And he said, in the beginning, God had attributes. And attributes were, 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 these, were these sons and daughters that were in him, just like my sons were in me, even when I was just a little lad uh, living up in Canada. Uh, I had attributes that were in me, right? I never knew it, but marriage brings it out, and eventually those attributes are expressed as sons of the Father. And Brother Branham comes along and doesn't teach end-time evangelism like it all starts right here. He says God had attributes. And if you can hear the voice of Father God calling you, respond to that and come out of her, my people, and come back home to Father God, right? That's the way Brother Branham taught it. And for you people that are being baptized now and have been baptized, uh, you know, uh, recently and so forth, let me tell you, it's not because you added up the two columns and said, it's better to live right than live wrong. It's better to live for God than to live for the devil. And it's better to, uh, you know, live clean than smoke and drink over here and uh, tattoos, no tattoos. Let me tell you, that's not how people come to Christ. And if that's the reason you come to Christ, well, there's a girl here and there's no girl here, so I'm going to take this path here. Or there's a, a handsome boy in that church. Or Hey, that, those things will never last. But the reason that we come is because there's something inside that realizes I can no longer live without him. I can no longer live in my sinfulness. And I hear a voice calling me that is stronger than the voice that's calling to the world. And it beckons me back to the kingdom. It beckons me back to my real home and to what I really am and to who I really am. And let me tell you, that's not because of what you did. That's Father God that's calling to that eternal predestinated seed that lays inside of you that God wants to bring back into the light. Everybody who's saved ought to say amen. That's my story. This is my song. He said when it comes to accepting the fatherhood of God, no, they're embarrassed. I, I'll tell you, I'll just say this. I, I, I'm not ashamed of this message. I'm not ashamed of the standards that, that are brought within it. I, I'm not ashamed of the people who believe it. I, I'm not ashamed of where this has taken us. I'm not ashamed of uh, Brother Branham. I'm not ashamed of, of uh, all of the, you know, uh, all of the different things that are out there. Uh, let me tell you, uh, we can find in the scripture here, Paul says some preach it for this reason, some preach it for that reason, but I thank God that Christ has preached. And sometimes all of it is there is just to create a maze for you to go through, to get you through to the other side. So when you get to the other side, you can say, we made it through, not through our own ability, our own smarts. We made it through because we are under the leadership of God. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And God allows those trials. And God allows those snarls in the road. And God allows those roadblocks there uh, to be in your path because he simply wants to be the one to lead you around them when you run out of solutions and when you run out of resources and when you run out of ideas. Let me tell you, our God is there to pick you up and carry you over the top of the mountain that you can't get over yourself. I believe that. <clears throat> 
Father means the founder of something. A race, a tribe, a progenitor, like Abraham was. It means also a title of honor, like a, a, a teacher. Um, Paul would have referred to or looked to Gamaliel as a, as a father in the faith. Of Christians who, as those who through Christ have been exalt, or exalted to a close and intimate relationship with God, who no longer dread him as a stern judge of sinners, but revere him as their reconciled and loving father. Can I say that again? Christians, as those who through Christ have been exalted to a close and intimate relationship with God, who are no longer dreading him as a stern judge of sinners. I know that I don't look at my father God like a stern judge of me all the time because a, a, a sacrifice has been made on my behalf. I don't take that for granted. Who no longer dread him as a stern judge of sinners, but revere him as their reconciled and loving father. That's how we should look. That's how we, are, we should grow to look at our heavenly father. Father means different things to different people. But I will tell you that God has brought you out and introduced himself to you as the right kind of father, the real kind of father that everyone should have. And he's a father who wants to give you everything that you have need of, everything that's best for you. Now, we find that this expression is, is used very seriously uh, throughout all of Scripture. And I, I, I don't want to be long here. I'm just going to be another few minutes, so just bear with me here. Jesus said, Now I say unto you, love your enemies and bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father. When you exhibit certain qualities and characteristics, what happens is people are actually going to see the Father in you. They're going to see the attributes of the Father in you. And this is what Jesus is commanding us to do. It's easy to love your neighbor. And it's easy to hate your enemy. We all feel justified when it comes to our enemies. But he's saying that your father, think about what your heavenly father did. Even when you were in sin, he loved you. Even when you were lost, he found you. He searched for you. He cares about you, right? And when you exhibit similar characteristics in your relationship with people in this world, the attributes or the qualities of Father God actually go on display. But they go on display through you. Now it's the Father wanting to use you. Now it's the Father forgiving through you. Now it's the Father supplying to someone else's need through you. And when somebody asks you to, for a coat, you give them your cloak also, right? This is, this is the idea that you, you, are, you, are also, you are also called to display the attributes of your father. This is not just that you may be nice children. This is not that you may somehow get into heaven. We don't get here because of rewards, right? Forgive me for using this analogy here, but it's kind of like the two men who showed up in heaven. When they got to heaven, one guy was really flashy dressed and uh, kind of a sharp guy and 
hand, got there in front of Peter, told him his name. Peter looked him up. He was an airline pilot. And uh, he looked at the record, and he says, okay, Pilot Bob, he says, in you go. Pilot Bob steps over to where the door is in the heaven, and he's given a golden rod and a silk robe. He puts it on. Enter into the joys of heaven. Pastor John comes up behind him and tells Peter his name, and Pastor John is, or Peter's looking at the book, and sure enough, Pastor John's name is there. He says, enter into the joys of heaven. He goes over. He's given a, a wooden stick with knots in it, and he's given an old cotton robe. And Pastor looks at Peter, and he says, hey, I'm thankful to be getting in. Thankful for the robe and, and the staff here, but this guy who was the pilot, he got the golden rod and he got the silk gown. And I'm just curious about the difference. And Peter says, hey, we go by results here. He says, and when he flew the plane, everybody prayed. And he says, when you preached, everybody slept. So Solomon was considered the son of David because he, he came from that lineage. Even in Matthew chapter 1, while he thought on these things, this is Joseph, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David. Now Joseph's father wasn't David, but he's from that lineage. And this is something that is found all through Scripture. It's a very serious thing. Ah, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'd like to be called son of the Father. Because we know that God doesn't have grandchildren, right? So the angel does not refer to, da to Joseph as the great, 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 great grandson of David. He says, you're a son of David. Because when God brought David on the earth, God saw all of the sons that would come from David. And I am the God of each one of those generations. Do you realize if that's true in the Old Testament, that's also true in our case here, that we are not, we are not some distant relation to, to, to somebody back here in, in, the, in the early church. Let me tell you, he's a God of our experience today. He's a God of reality today. He's a God of your life today. And we find this in many, many places in the scripture. But if that's true, we also find the opposite true as well. That in John chapter 8, which is a fascinating chapter, he says, why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word, because you are of your father, the devil? One thing is for sure, that you are either from one or the other. You're not from multiple trees. You are from one or the other. And let me tell you something. The job of the word is to restore lineage. The job of the Messiah is to restore lineage. You remember when the, one of the disciples was under the tree and Jesus said, I saw you under the tree, son of so-and-so. He, he, knew, he knew exactly who that lineage was 
because the job of Messiah is always to restore lineage and allow people, because of their right lineage now and the identity of that lineage, to move to the right place. So even today in Israel, they have put enormous amount of time and investment and assigned some of their brightest minds looking through the records that they have to make sure who the lineage of the Levites actually is. Because they don't want to have a Benjaminite in the office of a priest. That's reserved for the Levites. And the whole idea of, of having your identity uh, identified, if you like, or your identity revealed, is to make sure that you're in the right place, that you're doing the right thing and the time when your service, when your time of service exists. Let me tell you, saints of God, it, it's no different for us that in our time, even though society may want to move it around and put men in the mother's position and mothers in the father's position, there is an identity that God has designated for every one of us and the important thing is for you to maintain your position in that place so that you can fulfill what God's designed for you and even though society wants to move it around or say hey there's no designation you can be this or that uh, you can be neutral or whatever else let me tell you that's not that's not what the Bible teaches that's not what God says God has a role for each one of us and I believe that we should and we have to teach our children exactly what those roles are. So I want you to watch now. Brother Branham is describing a situation here where Jesus is on the cross and he calls out and says, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. He said, I, I believe there was an angel and they're standing there in every bush. And Lord, just point your finger and those angels go on marching orders and they sat there and said, well, you know, he, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He can't take himself off the cross. And how little did they know? And it, blind, it was the blind leading the blind. He said the same spirit, same thing that uh, they, they have said all through the ages. And now here's Jesus hanging on the cross. doing. He's in the position that he's supposed to be in. He's a, he's a suffering savior. And he's in the position that God has, has ordained for him. And he says, Look, he said, that same spirit, look, I'll prove to you it's of Satan. When Satan met Jesus, he said, if thou be the son of God, you can do miracles. Now, you're a divine healer. You're all this and all that. Make stones out of bread, and I'll believe you. He said, see what the fatherhood of that spirit is? See what the fatherhood of that spirit is? So the spirits that operate in our world today that influence and tr attempt to influence people come from somewhere. There's an origination somewhere. Think about this. I mean, this is, to me, this is a significant thing that here's Brother Branham saying, in other words, what's the origin of that spirit? Where did that come from? Because it only came from one place or the other. And if that spirit comes from God, it's going to do a certain thing. But if that spirit doesn't come from God, it's going to do something completely contrary. And your job, very often, is to identify where that spirit's coming from. And I will tell you, that's not always an easy thing. Because the Bible says that in the end of, end of things, 
Those spirits would be so close it would deceive the very elect if possible. But believe me when I tell you, and, and here's Brother Branham describing the same thing, that in the same way that they called Jesus Beelzebub and they disputed him and his power on the cross, they disputed him after he rose from the dead. It didn't matter how many miracles that he did. Uh, it, 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 uh, there, was no appease, there was no appeasing this spirit. There was no argue, you can't argue, out-argue these spirits here. They will, I've had people who, you know, profess to, they were subscribers to these websites that dispute the message. And I proved to one fellow, I proved geographically, and I proved, uh, I, I took him to places, I was on the phone with him, and I took him to places on the internet and showed him things that uh, Brother Branham had said about Capernaum in Israel. And I had just returned from Capernaum and when, when, uh, from Israel, and when I was over there, I asked the guide personally, I said, the Bible says this about Capernaum and, you know, sunk below the sea and all the other things here. And I said, this is what it describes here. Can you historically look at this and, and explain to me what, what this actually means? And he said, sure. He said, right now, he said, there's this the little town right here called Capernaum that we visited, we walked through. But he said, in ancient times, he said, this is not where Capernaum was. It was over here. And he showed me on the map. And he said, that's buried. He said, the act, they, they dug down through the ruins there in the clay. And he said, they found the, the foundations of a temple. And they found the foundations of houses and buildings that were there in that little community. And it's all dust now. It's all covered. It's gone. And he says, back then, the, the, the sea, the water, covered this part of, of the ground that we were, we were standing on. And he said, it was, it was uh, you know, a, a town that literally sunk down because of an earthquake that was over some seismic activity. But anyway, he said, that's where that is. He said, today, on the map, that's where it is. But in reality, that's where the original thing was. And I thought, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know what? Who knew? Brother Branham was right after all. And the scripture was right after all. And I, I remember proving that. I, 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 I laid that out with the facts and the figures and the uh, Google Earth. And I, I brought them to all of that and I showed them all of that on there. And uh, I, I said, you know, you're making the claim that that's not true. And I said, geographically, biblically, uh, and, I mean, National Geographic is the, almost the equivalent to thus saith the Lord, right? So, and if it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. And I said, I said it, it, everything there bears witness of the fact that what the Bible said and then what Brother Branham said in, in relation to that is all exactly the truth. And it's all exactly where, uh, where, where they said it was. And I, I, I didn't say it to him, but I said, well, how about that? What do you got to say now? And he, he switched immediately. He said, well... Brother Branham also said this about the bridge. I said, hey, 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 come back to Capernaum for a minute here. In other words, if you've got a theory, and I just blew a great big hole in the theory, uh, don't run away on me here. Am I right or am I wrong? I mean, is this, you know, I don't want to be wrong here. If you've got anything to offer, throw something good at me here that counters that. I don't want to be wrong. They said, well, how about the bridge? I said, the bridge has got nothing to do with this. There's no bridge over Capernaum. I said, forget the bridge for a minute. We'll go to that later on. And, and these poor people, if it's not found on Google, my goodness, they're lost. <laughs> and I, I, I got news for all those people. God doesn't need Google. God doesn't even use Google. 
And the Bible was around before Google. Can you imagine a, mankind existing on the earth before Google and Walmart? I mean, it's just an amazing, I know it's hard to believe, but I mean, it's, it's actually true. It's actually true. But a lot of people kind of have it, you know, they have it figured out. And, and, and these spirits, you cannot argue them. You're, you're not going to, you know, debate them and come up with more creative terms than them. And, and they, very, very few of those people turn from those arguments. Because you know what it takes to turn from your argument when you passionately believe that you're right? It takes a humility. It takes a surrender. It takes an admission that you're wrong. And a lot of people will not go there. And so Brother Branham's simply laying it out. And I love the way that he says this. He says, every spirit has a father. Every spirit originates from somewhere. And sometimes our greatest challenge in life is to figure out who's the father of that. Let's stand to our feet. To me, fathers have a great responsibility. They have a great job. I think our family should be free to come to us to ask us the things that we have need of. Just like Jesus said, if you go to your father and he said, you ask bread, will your father give you a stone? Of course not. Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give you a serpent? No. And if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And I say this, that I, I believe that we have a heavenly Father that we can turn to and we can ask him for things. We can, we can seek him and he'll be found, like the first of the verse talks about. But I believe that also as a father, I believe that my boys, I believe they should be able to come to me, my daughters-in-law, my grandchildren, they should be able to come to me with a legitimate request and you know, to be able to, to, to ask me something, knowing that I would consider that, knowing that I would be, have their best interests at heart. I believe as a pastor, you should be able to come to your pastor and do the same thing and know that I'm not going to give you something that's going to be bad for you. I'm not going to give you an answer that's going to push you off the right road, and, but I, I'm going to give you the answer that's going to be best for you. That's, that's, to me, that's the spirit of the Father. And when that happens, you're, you're actually putting God on display. You're putting God the Father on display. And that's our greatest, to me, that's our greatest job is to put Father God on display in your responses to your children. He's a good God. He's a good Father. He cares about you. He cares about these ones that are going to be baptized this morning. And if there's anybody else this morning who would like to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then let me tell you, there's, there's room in the pool there's room for you. God's made a way. God's made a way for us to, to come to him. And I believe that there's still mercy. And I believe that he cares about where you're at this morning. Let's sing that little chorus, He Has Forgiven Me, and we'll, we'll uh, going to turn it over to Brother Ben. He's going to come and take the service here, and I'm going to slip out. So for those of you that uh, desire to walk in baptism, one out through the back there and the deacons will help you guide you around through there and uh, I just want to say that I appreciate all of you this morning and, and uh, appreciate all you men of God and I pray for you I pray for you all the time think about your 
great challenge that we have to be fathers in a season that we live in, which is like really no other season. Let's sing this morning. He has forgiven me and my sins have been washed from his memory by the blood of the Lamb of Calvary. He has forgiven me. Yes, He has forgiven me. And my sins, they've been washed from His memory. of Calvary He has forgiven Sing it again now Thank you Jesus Yes He He has forgiven me and my sins have been washed from his memory by the blood of the Lamb of he has forgiven me in my
thankful you know there's lots of people when they think of a father especially when they think of God as our father they equate that sometimes to their own father on earth and sometimes our fathers weren't always the best especially if we came out of the world I am thankful that he loves us he loves us more than we could possibly ever love him amen I enjoyed that this morning a lot let's sing God is good as uh they're getting ready all the time. Amen. He put a song in my heart. Amen. God is good all the time. He puts a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine.
all the time Through the darkest night His light will shine God is good My God is good All the time Now we were sinners So unworthy Yet for us He chose to die us with his Holy Spirit so we can stand and testify that his love is everlasting amen and his mercies they will never end God is good all the time puts a song God is good all the time Through the darkest night His light will shine God is good My God is good all the time I want to go back I want to sing that second verse again Because His mercies, amen, they will never end Amen we were sinners, so unworthy, yet for us he chose to die. Filled us with his Holy Spirit, so we could stand and testify that his love is everlasting and his will never end. God is good all the time. He puts a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. My God is good all the time. We are proud of Sophie making this decision now to surrender her life to Christ. We don't know what the future holds, but we know this, that this is the very best thing that she could do right now. And we just pray that God will take her, fill her, lead her and guide her, and make her a real daughter of God and show his life through her. And that's our prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Sophie and her decision, Lord. We know that that comes from on high. And we pray now that you would just take her life, Lord. Take the offering of her life. And Lord, I ask that you would just fill her. Lord, change her. Make her what you have predestinated her to be. And Lord, may she yield to that process. May she yield to that spirit that now, Lord, would dominate her life. And I, I just ask, dear God, that you would protect her and watch over her all the days of her life. Father, she's doing a good thing. And we commit her into your hands now. Forgive her of every sin, every offense. And Lord, may she walk in newness of life. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Sophie, based on your desire to walk in obedience to the commandments in Scripture, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
We are excited for Nathan Brown coming up here, making this decision to serve the Lord, to surrender his life to Christ. You come this way, all the way. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> Nathan, we, we know that this inspiration, the decision that you've made doesn't come from Satan. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing to see the Holy Spirit working in your life. And so we're just going to pray that God will take that life now and use it for his glory. Heavenly Father, we pray for Nathan now and ask, oh God, that you would just take him like clay in your hand. And Lord, you have a life now that is stretched out ahead of him. And all the years of his life that lay ahead of him, Lord, I pray that you would just put your imprint on his life. That, Father, you would fill him with your Holy Spirit and that you would just lead him and guide him, Lord, in the path that you have ordained. Lord, we, we know we never need to try to learn to be a Christian or try to become one. Lord, when a person is born again, they, they are just coming back to who they really are. And so, Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would just surround him and fill him and lead him, Lord, in the path that you have chosen. Pray that you would forgive him of every offense, every sin, every lie that's been told. Everything, Lord, that would be an offense to you. And may he walk now in newness of life. I commit him to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Give me this hand right here. Hold your nose with the other one. Nathan, based on your desire to walk in obedience to the scripture, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. a number of years ago but really felt on his heart that the Lord was dealing with him and he wanted to make this baptism really count and uh, we're excited for his decision and whenever Brother Branham was asked this question about being rebaptized, he just wanted a person to be sure that uh, they understood the difference between what happened the first time and now and uh, he said I've rebaptized many people that's what he said and so Lincoln and I have talked about things and uh, prayed together, and we, we just uh, trust now that uh, in, his, um, in the years now that have passed since you've been baptized, that uh, this experience today uh, will be something that carries you far, and it changes you in a way that um, maybe you can't even realize or uh, anticipate. But we just trust that the Lord will take this offering that you give today and receive it and use it for his glory. Heavenly Father, we pray for Lincoln and are just so excited, Lord, that he's just made this decision to rededicate his life to you. And Lord, in every one of our hearts, Lord, we just want to be absolutely right and absolutely sure. And so we commit him into your hands now today. Pray, dear God, that you would just anchor something in his heart, his soul, that even though there are many temptations and many mistakes that we make, Lord, that, Father, you, you have identified this young man as the Son of God, and he knows exactly who his Father is. And I pray, dear God, that you would give him strength. I pray you would use him. I pray you would bring healing, Lord, in his pathway. And, Father, may you just take this life that's offered today, Lord, and just like clay, that you would mold him, Lord, in the image that you have ordained. 
We pray that you would forgive him of every offense, everything that he's done wrong. And Lord, we commit him into your hands now. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. Hold your nose there. Lincoln, based on your desire to walk in newness of life, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. that made some uh, warm the hearts of some parents. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, make sure that we encourage these young people as they start their walk. Amen. Father in heaven, we love you. We lift your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established our praises as your people declare your mighty works blessed be the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come blessed be this morning, Father, how much you love us and the role, Father, for us who are fathers, what we need to do in our own homes, Father. Lord, we ask that you'll be with those that are traveling, those that are uh, away, not feeling well, Father. Lord, we ask that you be with them. Lord, we ask that you be with our visitors. Give them a special blessing, Father, as they travel back to their own home churches, Father. Lord, we ask that you'll be with our pastor, Father. Just give him strength, Father. And Lord, we ask a special blessing on those, Father, who were baptized this morning, Father. Lord, may you be their comfort and their guide, Father. 
We ask it all in your name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing this again as you're dismissed, as you may go as you wish. Blessed be the Lord God.